back once again. It's the Integrateness Podcast with Jason and Jolene. I'm Jason, and that's Jolene sitting way over there through modern technology. I'm not even actually sure where you are when we do all these things, but uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got a baseline idea that you're at your office, but that's about it's it. My office. I'm like, really, you know, probably four minute drive from you. It's funny. We do even live in the same neighborhood as well. <laughs> <laughs> and we still do this like separately, you know, <laughs> like, like COVID's still a thing or I don't know. Um, September, Suicide Awareness Month. You just held a suicide awareness workshop this past Saturday. Yeah. So suicide is something near and dear to me. When I was 17, I lost my dad to suicide. And uh, since then, my work in the field has evolved into, you know, uh, running a local event that used to happen in person until COVID. And now it runs online and uh, stays online now because we can reach more people and we can record the event. And um, there's also, yeah, just an an element of reaching more people uh, that's kind of unfolded from that. So I think it's like probably the ninth year that I've done that and and arrange that event but uh september 10th is a day that is specifically set aside to acknowledge uh those who have died by suicide lost a loved one to suicide struggle with suicidal ideation have some kind of involvement in their life so why does this apply to you guys you say because i guarantee each and every one of you has been impacted by suicide it's like the rock in the water and all of those ripple out and impact all of us So we can start with some stats, hey? Yeah. Okay. So worldwide, 700,000 people die by suicide every year. Again, these are significantly underreported, okay? There's so many miscalculations and reports around it was a car accident. It was, you know, a medical issue, um, lots of different things. And again, now with overdoses, fentanyl overdoses, things like that, it's either categorized as one or the other, you know, um, it's really difficult. So these are likely very underreported stats, just like any other stats. 700,000 worldwide, one in every 100 deaths is usually a result of a suicide. 4,000 Canadians are lost each year to suicide. So that's like the equivalent of, I think Golden has a population in BC here of like 3,700. So that's like that whole town being wiped out. 58% of suicides are uh, occurring before the age of 50. And two times the amount of men will die by suicide than women, according to our stats. And uh, some of the highest rates are between like 18 and 24-ish as well. And I also don't want to leave out our Indigenous communities uh, that are significantly impacted by high rates of suicide as well for very obvious reasons of colonization and damage done to culture around there. Well, and, and we probably yet don't have numbers from the last two years right with with the pandemic and i'm very curious how that has has affected these numbers how many people because i mean we we've had widespread you can see it every day how the last two years has affected people um Mm -hmm. in in their way that they're acting the way we're treating each other the lack of patience the lack of understanding and compassion even just the way people are driving has become more erratic so i can only imagine that the numbers of suicides that would have gone up over these last two years primarily because of disconnection. So lack of access to appropriate services, knowing when people need help reaching out, but also the disconnection from other human beings, right? Um, You know, some of the most 
kind of treacherous places we can go to in our mind when we're feeling um, depressed, when we feel like our life isn't worth living, is not knowing the importance we have in other people's lives, how important we are, how loved we are. And when we physically are disconnected from them, especially, you know, last week we were talking about separation anxiety, object permanence, whether people exist when they're not physically present and how much our brain really sees that even if people aren't physically here with us, they still care for us, love for us, have importance in our life, yada, yada. COVID really take took that away from a lot of people too, right? Um, isolation. Yeah, all those things that just perpetuate any kind of difficulties that people might be having uh, in their mental wellness, right? So what? I know one thing when I worked, did like employment counseling, and I'd work with, you know, disenfranchised populations, people with mental health issues. Uh, I remember having to talk a client down uh, from wanting to kill himself he had no luck and he had a brain injury too it's just compounded everything right the one thing you know i had had not had suicide intervention training at this point i was like a month into the job but i was always told to sort of ask if the person has a plan mm -hmm. and that's a, generally if they have a plan then they put some serious thought into it if they hadn't it's just a momentary thing so what would you say to someone who has a friend who's expressed this desire to end his or her life yeah, these are the biggest pieces. And we used to, I used to do talks with um, like high school kids and stuff. Like, what are you going to do if your friend says, I have a secret, don't tell anybody this or that. Like, I'd way rather have a friend pissed off at me for telling an adult or someone else that they were suicidal um, and have them still be alive to be angry at me than not tell anyone, right? So a lot of people worry that if they talk about suicide, if they address it, it's going to make it worse for people. And it's not, it's essentially opening up that shake and pop can and finally giving it a place to be seen, validated, heard, all those things. The more we ask, the more we can find out. Most people don't want to be reactive. And if they are voicing suicidal thoughts, it's that's a cry for help, right? Um, it's the ones who aren't talking about it that we should really, really be worried about, right? Um, and, and poking and prodding. We want to talk about it more because as we learn more about why people are feeling a certain way, there's just more opportunities to give them other options. You know, we all have the option to take our lives. And I make that really clear. I work with some chronically suicidal individuals and did in my government job big time. Um, but again, as somebody who, you know, watched my dad, um, lose his life to suicide and his struggle with chronic pain. He had a stroke as a young child. So there was lots of physical pain, brain injury, as you can see that we never realized was brain injury, right? He just was very resilient and, you know, um, but lots of physical pain as a result of, again, the physical symptoms of having half your body paralyzed, right? Um, and all of those things that we all essentially have the right to self-determinism in terms of taking our own lives. But I wanna help people make that the last possible choice, right? When we take that choice away from people, um, I think we disempower them, we disenfranchise them, like really. And a lot of times that's why people are scared to talk about suicidal ideation. They're worried they're gonna get put in the hospital or there's gonna be all these consequences and stuff. And I think when we can take the stigma away from it, the fear of discussing it and, and talking about it away from it, you would realize that many people have had the thoughts cross their mind. But how do we move that thought from being a first choice response to a last choice response? And that's really the key piece, right? So when you um, talked about like, does this person have a plan? There's immediate ways that professionals would assess a situation, right? So do you have a plan? or a means, if the person did, that that essentially increases their risk in the 
current um, state, right? Like how, how imminent is this risk kind of thing. Another thing that really determines is whether um, somebody's had a previous attempt before and whether they have uh, lost a loved one to suicide. So I was one of those stats. I um, attempted suicide a few months after my dad did just in the depths of my own grief, uh, being a 17 year old managing all of that. And uh, that is essentially that stat right there. If you've lost somebody by suicide, you're at higher risk of suicide yourself. It suddenly becomes a very tangible option, very feasible. It becomes very real life. You can touch and feel that. Um, and uh, when you're in the depths of that pain, it's a quick, easy out, right? So there are things that we can discuss and assess and, and look at risk-wise, but essentially it's about really exploring your own belief system, right? So like Jason, uh, you know, what would have made a difference is like, what happens if you don't believe in suicide? If you have maybe religious beliefs that say you go to hell, suicide's mm -hmm. not an option and you shame people for it, or you don't give them the option of it. Like you're not going to be a safe person to talk to about it. Hey, no, not at all. I mean, yeah, if you're Catholic, that's but one of the worst things you can do. Right. And I had a friend of mine, everyone in the community knew Angelo Iacobucci was a journalist a legend really and he took his own life yeah. and he was roman catholic he's italian roman catholic and i remember for the family that was huge that he did that but i mean he and, and this is i don't know if i should even be revealing some of this but i mean he had reached out for help yeah and didn't get it right yeah. and so he obviously saw that as a resort there's even it even overrode his religion yeah. And some of those things I remember doing an intake on one gentleman and his own belief system about that, like, I don't want to go to hell was the mere thing keeping him here. And he had a lot of shit in his life that put him at high risk for suicide. And that ended up becoming the protective mechanism for him to keep him here. So it's really fascinating how that can be used to protect you for a while, or it can actually be used as a detriment in terms of supporting others and how supported you feel in your family and all of those pieces. Right. Um, but when we can evaluate our own belief system around suicide, what are our own, you know, like preconceived notions about it, our judgments about it, our experience, our comfort level with it, that's going to change how we're able to show up for other people and have those conversations, create that safe space for them. You know, I, uh, it is very clear through my life, um, that death follows me. I have had a lot of experiences with death and this is why I'm in grief and trauma work. This is why I love working with the spirit world as well. And my work has evolved in different ways that way too, because death has made itself very comfortable in my life. Um, but suicide in particular, you know, I lost my dad to suicide. I had my own battles with suicide. I have lost friends to suicide. I have lost mental health colleagues to suicide. I have lost clients to suicide. I have lost ex-boyfriends to suicide. I have lost many people to suicide. We lose very prominent figures in our society to suicide. Robin Williams is, right? Um, Kate Spade, I got her specs on right now with this clever little phrase inside that says, boys make passes at girls in glasses. <laughs> <laughs> like, all of these people that we might look up to, especially Robin Williams, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I don't, you know, I don't think any of us, when you actually go back in retrospect, when you can look at some of the stories of people and loved ones we've lost, there's a touch of like reality in there that goes like, yeah, you know what? I'm not surprised. I saw that pain. I saw that struggle. And I'm just, you know, I'm sorry that they were done that fight. Um, but I have always stood strongly against, um, 
judging someone by their death. So I appreciate holding a suicide death in a very protected special light because I think that kind of grief is different. Um, our family, you know, it was back in 1999 when my dad died and sounds like a Brian Adams song or something. Um, but uh, it was not talked about very often. And I remember people thinking, I remember people being surprised at how comfortable my mom, my sister and I were at talking about the suicide. We were not shameful about it, thankfully. And I think that was a big part in our journey, but there was nowhere to go for help. My mom had like two books that she was referred to. I think they're in our library now that we read, but essentially, you know, um, there was no support anywhere to really go to talk about that. And it is a different kind of grief. So I protect it and really nourish it that way um, when people are grieving a suicide death but I don't like to define the person's life by it because we are not defined by how we died we are defined by how we live and when I created that that suicide awareness and prevention day um, you know it was really driven behind the fact that we wear these beautiful ribbons and shirts and silly costumes and stuff to celebrate breast cancer awareness and all this. I used to run massive teams and do tons of fundraising for that at my old job, just as team building things. And I was like, I didn't know anyone with breast cancer back then. Like, why wouldn't I pick a cause that actually meant something to me? And why can't we celebrate our loved ones instead of like mourning and being shameful of how they died, right? So I really kind of wanted to change the face of suicide that way um, and remembering how our loved ones lived because how they died is just a small piece of their life. I think I think a lot of it, I mean, it's, we're getting better at talking about these things anyways, because even like, you know, when Robert Williams committed suicide, people didn't so much talk about that, but they started talking about depression and how that was a cause of, right? Like we're more comfortable talking about depression eight years later than we were then. I think we will get there with suicide and suicide awareness. The problem is, is as a Western culture, we're so fucking scared of death. We can't even fathom someone taking their own life. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to die. Why would you do it yourself? You know what I mean? Like, I think that plays a huge role in it. We're terrified of this whole thought of life ending. So the thought of someone ending their own life is even worse, for lack of a better, better phrasing. It's so true. And you talk about that in dying life, the investigation into near death experiences, right? <laughs> it totally is. It's a book that Jason wrote. And um, uh, I had a little segment in it as well, but I was reading it this weekend and uh, again, like around some of that concept, but yeah, in Western culture, we are so afraid of death. Like if we could embrace everything else that life has to offer and where we go and where we evolve and all of these pieces, right? All of that would look very different, right? And I think that's the piece where I am, you know, I still, and it feels very conflicting, especially coming from like a professional suicide prevention standpoint to honor everyone's self-determinism in terms of like, we can choose to come into this world and leave this world on our own. But like I said, I want people to not feel like they are unsupported and don't have choices. I want them to have the smorgasbord of choices and make the best possible choice for themselves, right? Uh, not have a lack of choices and, and make that the option. The other things that, you know, come into play is impulsivity. Um, and that's why we're looking at age group things. That's why we look at gender differences as well, because there's so much impulsivity there. And I remember when I did like a mock, research project back in my, um, my uh, undergrad um, degree, uh, it was all around the um, prevalence of suicide attempts while under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Um, I was drunk when I attempted suicide. I don't think it would have been something that I did sober, right? Like 100%. Um, and I think for a lot, um, like what were the 
like what were the ER stat rates of suicide attempts or even suicides with, um, you know, alcohol and drugs in the system. And I do feel like when I did some preliminary research, don't quote me here, guys, because this was like probably 15, well, no, it was probably 20 years ago now. Um, it was uh, that actually like completed suicides actually had less uh, amounts of drugs and alcohol because you think about the premeditated state and the sureness of the decision. And, you know, some people have talked about just how there is almost a sense of calm and um, peace that that their loved ones had just prior to um, taking their lives. And sometimes it is finally putting the swords down, uh, putting the battle down and coming to terms with like, this is my decision for what's in my best interest. And there is a kind of conflicting, bizarre sense of peace for others to observe, but probably very much um, maybe the first time in a long time that that person has truly honored their own wishes and desires, which again feels so conflicting as it comes out of my mouth, but I also really just value people's lives and their truth and their authenticity and not living their lives for others. And for some people, they'll stay on this earth for others. And that might be the first time they chose themselves. Which is, that's a heavy thought, you know, when you think about that, right? It feels heavy to say it, but I feel like I also have to say it because I can't negate that reality as well. Hey, well, you know, and it's like, I've had friends who have years later mentioned that they've made an attempt Mm -hmm. right on their lives. You know, I had a a former girlfriend who had taken her own life um, because she had been abused by someone, right? Like people have their reasons and you're, you're right. Like what, I mean, I've even thought of it, like everybody I've thought of it. And I had even given myself a timeline upon which I was going, if, if things hadn't turned around in my life by a certain date, I was, that was it. I was done. Um, I gave myself a year and like three days before that year was up, I met the woman who became my wife. Right. And I just look, (laughs) it's just one of those things. But when you make that decision, even if you're like, well, a year from now, I'm going to give it every possible chance not to, but when you've made that decision, you've made that decision. And and I'm sure looking back, if I hadn't met her, I probably would have followed through on that. Do you know what I mean? Like nothing else had improved. Three season. Fuck, I love the way the universe works, man. Like they were like, yep, dragging you straight through 362 days, then you'll get your reward. Then you'll get your, you know what the difference is there too, though? You saw it, you knew exactly what it was. You knew what your year mark was. And you were like, I see this, this is my chance and I'm going to choose to take it. You chose to take it as well, right? You didn't have to choose. Amazing. That's a really cool story. Thank you. And it's, it's something that stuck with me. I didn't talk even about that to, to like my wife or any of my friends until about two years ago, like two, two and a half years ago. Right. But it's just, I think, yeah, it sucks. It, 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 and, and take it back to our culture, just not being comfortable with death. I mean, Jesus, every morning when we wake up, there's no guarantee we're going to make it to the end of the day. And every day when we go to bed, there's no guarantee we're going to wake up. Like, come on people. This is the reality. And I think when we live not being afraid of death, we can live deeper, right? Like mm-hmm. it's kind of that concept. Oh, we're going deep here today. It's kind of like the concept of like, you know, we have to, you know, like in order to like fully love, we also have to recognize that like we could lose that love. So we'll inadvertently like carry grief of the loss of it at the same time as living it. But if you don't go all in, you don't even get it. You rip yourself off everywhere. Right. So it is the reality. And I think that's why when we're younger, we're able to live a bit more carefree. We lack a lot of the like frontal lobe connections that keep us in, in certain ways and places and stuff. But yeah, it's, you know, when you have, um, a belief that there's, you know, more to life 
than maybe just this, you know, we can embrace it differently. We can look at different things. Pain maybe feels different. It feels more temporary. There's other options, I suppose, right? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Even while writing Dying Light, plugging it again, my perspective of things changed a lot in the eight months I think it took to get that book written and researched, right? And I just look at life so very differently now. Like like most of what we're dealing with every day is bullshit. So don't take it too seriously. Yeah, right. right? That's a bit of advice to people who are feeling down too. Like just but that's the thing. It is those, it is those pieces that usually become like crushing markers for people. So for my dad, something that was unfolding. Uh, was like his job was going to get kind of changed and he'd be laid off. His boss was always, he worked for the government and his boss was always like making his life hell. So being a male of that generation, he was born in 51. So, you know, being the breadwinner, having the job, those were all very definitive pieces of your masculinity, right? Um, so to get laid off at that time in your career where like, I, he didn't have an education per se, because you quit school at 16 and started working, right? So he had kind of earned his way up to that, but it's like, how do you get retrained at 48 years old, right? So for him, that felt like the end of the world. And he was trying to wrap his head around what that would look like, even with my mom's support and things like that. Um, you know, and for other people, it's severe debt. Like, you know, it's so, it is very unfortunate when loved ones like learn later, really, this was it. They owed 30 grand for something like if this was what his life was worth, we could have helped or things like that. So that is the shitty thing is that for many people, those burdens that feel like they cannot get out of, it's like this deep hole, right? So again, when we're talking to our loved ones about the things that are burdening them and the things they're stressed about, and so much of it is finances, career relationships, like this was the one for me, they broke my heart. I don't know how to get out of this, right? That kind of stuff. The more we open up those conversations and recognize like, wow, this guy's like had kind of a shit deal. Like I should check in with him. You know, he's lost a couple of things over the last little while. His whole life fell apart or her whole this fell apart, right? Um, I need to check in, right? Because all of these would be real good reasons to fucking end it right now. Those are the ones, right? Like give them a chance to talk about all of that and see maybe some other options out of that because sometimes those feel like doomsday scenarios. Definitely, definitely. Where can people turn for help? Yeah, lots of different places. So locally, you're always going to have like a mental health and addictions kind of um, center, whether it's a government center, a Canadian mental health association, nonprofit center, you've always got ER and like police ambulance lines for acute stuff where they'll link you, right? Those are like your real in-person kind of things. You also have crisis lines. Remember with crisis lines, they're going to be referring you to your local resources. They're going to refer you to ER if they can't guarantee your safety. That is their job. If you can't commit to safety, they have to pass you on to those things. Um, but there are crisis lines. I don't have the lines on me, but we will find some to post in the podcast link. They're very easy to search. One of the things I've been seeing young kids actually post about is it kind of got me all riled up inside a bit there, Jason, because they were like, this hotline traces your number. And they were giving big warnings out. And it was like warning people not to call that line because you don't truly stay anonymous because if you say you're going to kill yourself, they can send police to your house, right? And that was actually like a warning that younger kids were sending out on social media not that long ago. And I was like, ooh, yeah, I can get that that's something you'd want to warn your friends about if they were really wanting confidentiality. But I also get why they're doing it too, right? So oh, huge. If you, if you suddenly hang up halfway through and you're riled up of course they're going to send someone to your house 
Yeah, but not all hotlines have ever had that option, but now some of them do. They actually have the tracer device right there. So, and that's like a big deterrent for some people to call that line now, right? Interesting. I know that was we that was a weird thing for me to wrap my head around, right? Because I've also I've been on both sides of it too, right? Like my dad asked for help at the family doctor the day before he left town and took his life, right? So he did reach out. We were all very aware of it, and it still happened, you know. Um, so yeah, there's all of these pieces. I've been on both sides, and then I've been on the crisis line side, you know. Like it's yeah, been on that intake, uh, that mental health side of things too. So. We do our best. I think if we can acknowledge, you know, what our sort of belief system is on that, how open we are to supporting others, to having the hard conversations, to just talk about it. Like I just encourage people to talk more about it. And if you've, you know, if you know someone who's lost someone to suicide, please talk about it with them. Don't feel like it's going to be a shameful thing. If anything, you talking about their loved one and asking about their grief and asking where you can support them and showing that you don't shame the type of way that the person died um, is just one of the biggest hugs in grief that you can give that individual. And if they don't want to talk about it because maybe they have their own shame and bias around that as well, then they can freely tell you that, right? But don't uh, hold back on your support because of that. Don't hold back on the hard conversations. And right now, do a little scan of your social network, your family network, and look at the people who have had some fucking hard knocks in the last little while, right? Look at the people who have had job changes, relationship breakups, financial stressors through COVID or through anything else. Look at the people who have lost a substantial amount of weight or gained a bunch of weight or have these, you know, markers in their life. That's like, you know what? Something's just like kind of not off. Like they they've isolated. They're not hanging around the same group of friends anymore. All of this stuff has changed. Check in on those people. Check in on them. That's, I think that's a perfect place to say, <laughs> to stop it and check in on us. Yeah. In, into Greatness Podcast on Instagram. And we have our website, integratenesspodcast.podbean.com. Yeah. I, that. I think so. It that sounds close enough. Some yeah. variation on that. <laughs> it's like you can pay tribute to your loved ones as well. So yeah. uh, maybe with this episode, if you want to drop a name and a heart and a, you know, you're remembered for how you lived kind of thing. Um, we will have a post uh, because I think it is so powerful. I used to do this at the awareness events uh, and we would tie ribbons on a kite and you would see how many people had died by suicide, just impacting the people that were at that event. So I think if we can get a visual of how many lives are being remembered and how many lives have been touched, that's substantial. Uh, even, and even reach out, hit it, give us a DM as Absolutely. well. If you just yeah. want to reach out privately. So this was a little heavier of a topic, not as much um, funny punny, but super relevant. We know it hits all of y'all somewhere. It does. Uh, it does. And um, as always, Jolene and I will be back next week with more of the Integrateness podcast. We'll try to make it a titch lighter, mm. but we can't promise that either. <laughs> Until then, I'm Jason. I'm Jolene. And we'll talk again next week.